now we got to actually go out there and deliver. I tell people I'm FedEx, I deliver. I, I can't be talking about this forever. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, so now me and Z are joined by an absolute legend when it comes to Asians in football. Rashid Abba, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. What about you guys? Yeah, we're... Well, I'm very well, Z. I'm assuming you are too. Do you know what? Monday just got better because of sheets on the call. And, and the weather's good and it's a lockdown. We can go out now. Timing, we can, yeah? We can go out and start all training. Together, yeah. All that together. Yeah. We're recording this on the 29th of March, so people are allowed to mingle in groups of six and more outdoors again. And the sun's out and, yeah, it feels like spring or something's in the air at least so Rashid as I said is a legend currently he is the employability and coach education manager at the mighty West Ham United but he's been involved in football and been involved with Asians in football for a mighty long time and I believe Rashid your journey when guys football started in Leicester is that right? Yes, yeah. First of all, before we start, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I think I'm privileged to sort of share my journey, lived experiences, and uh, yeah, just sort of sharing my knowledge around the grassroots to the professional club. Yes, it did start in at Leicester City in the 90s, uh, I think 92 uh, or 93. So yeah, that's that's my DNA, the beginning of uh, my journey. Okay, what happened in '92, or what? What were you doing in '92? Well, I I think what it was my I used to I used to work in a community, youth and community. That's what my background is. So I was very passionate around working in the communities and empowering them and giving them opportunities. And then because I I played a decent standard as well, and I was sort of well known in in the area. And then I got an opportunity to, to go and work for Leicester City Football in the community, like a twelve month work placement. Uh, and it was part of the PF, PFA initiative where they were training up uh, local coaches to work in the professional game. So, you know, I thought, OK, there's no visibility. There's no Asian coaches in Leicester qualified. There's no one working in the professional club. There's no visibility. And yet from the community and the grassroots club where I've come from and played good standard as well, I thought, yeah, I want to become a coach. Uh, and the opportunity came, and the person who opened the door for me, his name was Neville Hamilton. Bless him. He was the he was ex pro, but he was football in the community manager at Leicester City, and he took me and he sort of guided me how to work in the professional game, from your know, community uh, to academy to the talent ID and that. So that's where my journey started, uh, and I'm privileged to be you know been there what 14 years before I moved to West Ham. Uh, but it was all about you know. I wanted to become a first Asian coach at uh, Leicester City, whether it's a foundation, football in the community, community sports trust at the academy and the talent ID as well. So I wanted to be the first one. And then hopefully I can I can inspire the, you know, uh, the generation since, you know, in the in the 90s. OK, so this was 1992. Now, at, 
at the time, were you aware that, I mean, obviously you said you wanted to be the first Asian coach, but were you aware that there was any kind of barriers or issues or why did you think there, there hadn't been many Asian coaches or players up until that point? I think I think our our agents in football history is very is very short. It's only twenty five years, okay, since the last report. I th- I think when I was playing and there was a lot of grassroots club, a lot of clubs, you know, in terms of the men's football. Uh, but there was nothing, no youth development in those uh, South Asian clubs. But yet there was a lot of football, and then you had your first generation and the second generation. So a lot of football was played in the Asian leagues or Asian communities, uh, but it wasn't structured. So in terms of those, there was no link with a professional club. Only the link came when I started in football in the community. And I started going into those communities where I was from, in the heart of the South Asian communities. So I had the local partners, I had the local grassroots club. I did play for more majority of them. So I had a very good rapport with them. So that visibility is like getting my first tracksuit, Leicester City tracksuit. That was, that was, empowering for me as well to wear the professional tracksuit and going back into the community but in the in the 92 just just before the 96 report there was nothing happening so I remember before the 96 report I, I was getting uh Jazz Baines and Raj and you know even uh, you know football Mandel Sky used to come and they just said okay why there's lack of Asian football but but before the report started coming I was already doing it because Leicester were the first one to do an initiative where you were linking. My role was linked as an academy integration role. I started in the football in the community, but the role, role evolved as, as, a, as I got to do a good job, get networking with the communities. And the role became where I had to support the grassroots coaches, train them up as coaches, link them up with a professional club. And then the, that was a visibility. And that time there was more... South Asian grassroots clubs who were establishing, focusing on the youth development. But if you look back in my time, I mean, some parents didn't even know what Sunday is for. They didn't even know what grassroots football is because they think you're just turning on playing in the park. So I think I think we have to look back to to go forward. Like I said, our history is very very short. It's only about 25 years. So I think I think what we've done and what we're going to evolve and what we're trying to do. I think we are moving in the right direction. But when I was there, I was on my own. I used to go into schools where there's high Asian population, uh, teachers, schools, players, coaches, um, and and then trying to link them up from, from a school's program to a school's club to a local grassroots club. So how can I signpost those boys or girls to go and play for those clubs? Uh, and I thought that you needed a, you needed you needed a model where there has to be a progression for players. Yes, the participation was there, but it wasn't affiliated football. So now, you know, there's a lot of affiliation football. Yes, there is some parts in the country it's unaffiliated football. So again, it's how do we get the unaffiliated linked as well? But my role was basically connecting the community grassroots club with the club and providing opportunities. And I used to train up the coaches as well. I used to deliver McDonald's level one course for all the coaches who are now B license, A license, but their journey started uh, probably they were seven years old when I used to coach them. And now they're working the professional game. So yes, I didn't want to be a, a first agent coach. Oh, look at Rashid and that. 
I wanted to be, I wanted to make sure that I can become that visible role model for the next generation. And I think that's what I've left in terms of, in terms of the legacy, I wouldn't call it legacy. I think you just have to go to Leicester and find out. People would know what I've left there. My DNA is still there. I still got the connection with the club and the community grassroots club. But I think what I left there is for someone else to carry to the next level. So I, I think that opportunity for me to work in the professional club and I'm privileged. This is my 31 years. So I'm very privileged to wear the two Premier, two Premier League badges. And it's about the opportunity and it's about taking those opportunities. Cool. OK. And so what drove Leicester to do this? Was it an awareness? Did you remember at the time, was it an awareness that the population is quite mixed? It's multi-ethnic and there, there needs to be more because I think in the 90s a lot of football clubs I'm not sure that they were thinking along those lines that they they had their traditional hardcore support which was mostly the white working class population yeah um what, what is it? so yeah what what was driving I... Leicester to employ you and what successes were they expecting from you I think in terms of success, I because I already had the partnerships, I already had the local knowledge. You know, I already worked with those clubs. I played for those clubs. I trained up those coaches. I had the presence and the visibility in those hotspots, in those areas with high Asian demographics. But just coming back to you, if you think about it, there's a lot of clubs, uh, not in just Leicester, across the country. They've been going for 50, 60 years. Some have gone for 100 years, but they were more focused on the, on the men's football. And it's only in the last, I would say, uh, 10 to 15 years, there's a lot of uh, grassroots football clubs in some parts of the country. Okay, so they're more structured, they're affiliated football. But I think Leicester being now in the current situation, Leicester's got the the most, you know, South Asian communities anywhere. You know, there's more people from that community than anywhere in the country. So in terms of the club and the location and the community, right, it's a perfect it's a perfect. The stadium was is in the heart of the Asian community, so you needed that visibility. And while I was there, I had to come up with the ideas and the reinvent the model to say, okay, I can't do it on my own. But what I can do is I can train up coaches who can come with me in schools, after schools club. I can train up the grassroots coaches so they can they can coach and I can mentor them as well at the same time. But at the same time, give those opportunities for players to to come to Leicester City, right? Give those opportunities for the coaches from those communities to have a CPD insight into what the academy looks like. Because the academy started in 1992. Before that, it was School of Excellence for boys and girls. So the academies have changed as well since since, since 1992. But in terms of, I thought it was, it's a visibility. The passion was there. The passion is still there. there are, the participation is still there. I still think it needs it needs to move to the next level. Uh, but again, I think you have to have a link with a professional club. And for me to go into those communities, it was you know I used to get people asking me how do I get into, how do I get into coaching. So it was all very very new. But it was very new for me when I started in the ninety two ninety three. So I had to learn the game how to work in a professional club. You know what's the mindset at the academy. So I had to sort of change my DNA from the community to go and work in the community uh, at the academy with the elite mindset 
and the obsession to work in those areas. But I, I was learning. I'm still learning at the moment as well. And I wanted to evolve. And I said, if I learn, then I can share that knowledge and experience with the next generation who want to get into those into those opportunities. But I think where Leicester got it right was they they were the first one to do Asians in Football Project. So this was linked with the local authority to say how we can local authority can invest some funding with Leicester City. And then my role evolved from a, a, a from a community development officer to academy integration role. So this is a model I thought is going to work. So I was playing like a like a midfield role. It's a link between the community, the academy, and the talent tidy. That has to be the triangle. That has to be the triangle. And it's worked in Leicester. Then obviously, whatever I set up there, uh, and now, you know, the, those clubs like your know, Leicester Nirvana, GNG, Highfield Rangers, Barrett FC, Tulsa, they were established clubs, but now some of those clubs are playing step five. They got absolutely amazing facility, but the grassroots football is very different there because they've got about 20, 25 teams playing in affiliated football. They've got coaches from level one to level two. Some clubs have got level threes and level fours. So whatever I did in the 90s and coming 2004 to West Ham, I think I left my footprints there. You know, I still keep in touch with those coaches, still keep in touch with those grassroots club and how I can afford any additional mentoring and that. But I, th- I think I think that was a journey and I think that could be as a, as a best practice model to people say it does work. It is It has worked and it is working, but we need to move to the next level in terms of we want to increase it, increase the diversity from the British South Asians, not just in coaching. We need to have more working at the club in different departments. You know, we got the phys- you know, we, we got the doctors, we did physios, we did SNC, we need someone working in the marketing, in the media, we need referees. So it's not just about coaching. So I think we've got to evolve with what the game is gonna look like moving forward. But like I said to you earlier, we've only been going for 25 years compared to the black communities and the black football. They've been going for over 100 years. So so the, I, I think the future is Asian, like I used to say when I started. You know, the future is Asian, but it is South Asians. It has to be focused on South Asians because I don't want to go into the 40, 44 nations, you know, CONCACAF and all that. We have to focus because we are the majority in the country. We are 4 million with only 10 professional footballers. So where is the gap? The gap is the professional links with the grassroots club and the coaching and the scouting. Interesting. And so why did, or how did the move to, did you go straight from Leicester to West Ham? Yes, I did. So the, the role came up to say, uh, because I was at, at the academy I was doing from nine years old to under 16s. And then, and then I had Aman Vermont, he used to be with me. So he was from the local club and the local schools. So I was very privileged to sort of coach him as well while I was at the academy and sort of speak to his parents as well and that. So, you know, when he said, you know, whatever I left, you know, in Leicester, I think the model has worked. You had Aman, you had others before him. There was Osman Gundal, I remember, prior to um, uh, to Aman. But Aman is the first South Asian to play for Leicester City for the first team. So I, I think I think you've got, you only got a case study as best practice in that. But anyway, for, in terms of the progression 
uh, the job came at West Ham United in 2004 to manage the first, uh, to manage Asians in football project in East London. So he was based in Tower Hamlets, but working in Newham, working in Enfield and some parts of Redbridge and Barking and Dagenham. So it was, again, I to, I call it the back to the future. I had to reinvent that model in East London because I've done it. But, but obviously it was difficult, I had to say, oh, I've had all the work, you know, what I've done in the last 14, 15 years, 20 years, including voluntary in Leicester, is I have to, I had to let go. And it was very challenging. It was very hard for me. But then I wanted to come to West Ham and challenge myself and see how I can evolve as a as a person, because as you know, in the coaching, there's no many full time jobs unless you play the game. So you will get opportunities at the academy from under four, under nines, twelves, up to maybe sixteen. But the game changed, so it, it used to happen in the nineties anyway. So it wasn't nothing nothing new to me because I've learned, I understood the elite pathways and all that. So I said I wanted to challenge myself. But I wanted to learn more about, you know. If you're working with South Asian communities, then all the same, because the demographics are different, the local issues are different, you know. So I said, okay, I'll come and challenge, and and uh, and I said, okay, East London being the hotbed of Asians in football, the passion and the established clubs and all that. I said, okay, that'll be good. Uh, so when I came here, I had to sort of first of all train up the coaches to come and work with me in schools, so that I had to do the remodel. But tweak it to say I get local coaches. I believe that you could have local coaches to solve the local issues because they understand the demographics, they understand the language, they understand they've got the understanding of the culture. So I think that's very, very important. It's not just about I'm a coach. You've got to have awareness of culture diversity because coaching is just about the football moving. It's how you connect football with the underrepresented communities. So I was. You know, so I took that opportunity. It's my 17th year. But then during that 17th year, I mean, I've I've evolved. I've learned so much. I've met so many new people. I've learned different styles of football, different cultures. Uh, and then having having connection, upskilling coaches. So I delivered a lot of level one football and level two as part of my... So my role was FA coach educator as well and, and a mentor as well, which I'm going to come to later on. So it was about upskilling and mentoring them. So in 2004, it was it was around increasing the number of coaches. It was increasing the number of players playing in schools, but then referring them to the local clubs. So you've got to have the link. So you've got to have the link between the schools and the local clubs for the boys so you can signpost them and the girls. So what we did was we trained up local coaches and they had to come into schools with me. At the same time, I was delivering level ones and twos and at the same time mentoring them and professionalizing them as well to understand what's it like work, working in a professional environment, whether it's a community or any other departments, we're wearing the same badge. So basically I was mentoring them what someone mentored me in the 90s, but with more sort of lived experiences and the new knowledge. Um, again, it was connecting with the local grassroots clubs as well. So there's some really good clubs, Valence, Janelle, Janelle used to work for West Ham. He was doing level one and level two two in the 98 so now he's got a club he's got established coaches there you've got sporting Bengal who are doing their own uh, academy with the coaches uh, there's there's whopping youth there's other clubs as well you got london apsa top sides you know with the you know the non-league so i think i think where 
I found in London was, especially in those areas, there wasn't much grassroots football. There wasn't around youth development. It was more around the adult football and the tournaments, the 12-month tournaments, the summer tournaments and the winter tournaments. And I'm thinking, okay, we need to upskill more coaches. And I've got the coaches who work with me. And they were they actually did they coached those local clubs anyway, the New York and the Balance. So I thought that'll be great to to tie them up. So when they go into schools, they'll say, oh, coach, I know you. So which club do you coach? So that you had to you had to increase participation. That's one thing. You had to increase the number of coaches at level one, level two. You had to increase the pathway uh, in the development centers, and you had to have a link with a professional club. So that was in, in itself, it was a challenge. But the project was around focusing on the South Asian communities. And within those, it was just about making sure opportunities and making sure there's jobs available if they want to go into it or they become sessional coaches leading to paid work. And we have got a very good example. Litton is a man who works at the academy. He started in football in the community, South Asians in football. So it's similar. He's doing what I did in the 90s, but he's the first one to work at West Ham United as an academy coach. So he is an inspirational model as well. But where I'm coming from is to say, okay, it's not going to take you 20 years to get to where you want to, like it did to me, will get you, you know, there's an opportunity there. If you want to become a coach, there's a mentoring process in place and I can support you. But if you look back, the 1995 report, 96 report, I think we lost a generation. We have lost generation of good footballers. We have lost generation of good coaches, probably scouts. So, like I said, I didn't have any support. There was no bursary. Leicester City paid for my coaching badges. No one has paid for me. But now there's opportunities, which I'm going to share with you later on. So I think I think what I did in Leicester transition to West Ham, it was challenging at first because the demographics were very different. There was no facilities. It's all high rises in London. That's the premium. We don't have facilities. So how are you going to increase participation? So I, th- I think there was, but now there's, you know, there's uh, partnerships with the local authorities, the leisure centres. So you, they're using those facilities to train up the boys' team, the girls' team. Uh, and I can see a big increase in participation, but there's a lot of affiliated football as well in some some areas of East London. But the majority are, is unaffiliated football, which I'm I'm going to be addressing soon. How do we connect with unaffiliation football? Did you... Did- I know you said the the people are different, etc. How how different was London to Leicester? Because because we've had discussions um, on the podcast previously with people, and yeah. I don't know if it's impossible. Me and Z are both Londoners. Kevin, when he's on here, is is a Londoner as well. Um, and I I don't know whether we've got a feeling that generally the communities in the Midlands and Leicester etc are a little bit more connected whereas in London there's obviously certain pockets like in Tower Hamlets is a very large Bangladeshi community. Yeah I mean that's a great question because when we're talking about the South Asians there's about nine countries I think Iran is the ninth it's between Asia and South Asian right but there's nine countries so obviously Leicester's got majority of people who are from the DNA is from India okay so Leicester's very integrated 
integration because I used to work with Sikh community clubs. I used to work with Gujarati clubs. Yes, I did work with some Bengali clubs because there's a Bengali community in Leicester, in Loughborough. That's where Hamza Chowdhury's come from. But I have worked with all different communities, so I do understand the culture. But because we all played together, there was a lot of integration because we played in the Carlsa Federation tournament. So even though we were playing for maybe you know some white clubs, we used to come and play for the tournaments to represent Kalsa or GNG. So there, there was a lot of integration, but with, within our own South Asian communities, it's, 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 a lot, it's a different dimension as well, because you've got Muslims, you've got Sikhs, you've got Hindus, you've got Tamils, right? Within that, there's a lot of culture as well. So I think it's not that straightforward. So that's why I said earlier, you really got to have the awareness of the diversity and the cultures and the people you're working with. You really need to know. Yes, the DNA is from India and the partition and people went to Africa. Then they migrated here. In the, you know, like my parents were the first generation. They didn't have time to take me to football. They had other priorities, the housing, the jobs and that. It's only now that, you know, the second or the third generation, we got better understanding. The passion is there, football, but in understanding a professional game. Coming back to what you said around, yes, I, I felt when I moved to East London, there was too much around, yeah, we've got to work with our own community, yeah? And I'm thinking, hold on, it doesn't matter where I'm from, I'm here to help you. As a coach, I understand the culture, I understand that, but it was challenging at the beginning, I'll be honest with you, because, you know, I'm working with... You know, I thought the football was international language. It wasn't. Some parts of London, it wasn't. And I'm still finding it now when I go to, not I did, not just in East London, I do, I've got contact in West London, North London, South London. And I'm thinking, hold on, the football is very different here. Very, very different. It's, yes, round football, but the experience of getting more coaches playing the community, the links with the FA, the grassroots football, the links with the professional game. So it was it was about educating as well to say that, yes, I can help you if you want to become a coach. I can help you if you want to become uh, a scout. I can help you if you want to become a mentor because I've lived those experiences and I can share that with you. But in terms of the, you know, the culture differences, sometimes you can have people with a fixed mindset and that could be a lot of challenges. But we've got to make sure that we educate that, yes, we are focusing on the South Asian. It doesn't matter where they've come from, you know, where the DNA is. We've got to think about the next generation of our players, our coaches. And it's not just football for boys. We've got to start thinking about the women's game and the girls' football. And we've got to start thinking inclusive as well because the game is going to be evolving. And you will see female coaches working at the academy with the boys' academy. It will happen. So the game is evolving. Yes, there have been challenges, but then it's about building that relationship with those clubs and really get to know them. I'm here to help you. But if I help you, it's going to professionalise the grassroots club. It's going to improve your coaching. The players are going to get better. You are going to get better as a coach. So I think it's building this, you know, those rapport and having that strong presence and the trust for me is the trust that have to buy you. Know, a question. I've got a question because um, we've we've spoken many times over the years, and one thing is quite clear that you've had this self belief and self determination, yeah. and that's why you've been able to survive in such a cutthroat industry that football is. Yeah. 
because like you said it keeps evolving keeps changing your job titles have changed over the years you came in as a coach but then the the role the the kind of definition of coach has evolved yeah. changed and in, increased rapidly yeah so you've had the self-determination what when you've been going out to the community are you finding that same self-belief and self-determination because when you did it you didn't have that kind of helping hand per se mm. but now you're providing the helping hand or providing knowledge or a kind of pathway into football are you finding that there is that self-determination within within the community with the people that you're working with yeah i think i think what what sort of really helped me when i was delivering level one football and level two and the national FA talent id course for west ham so a lot of coaches were coming from those east london clubs as well so i think they you know in terms of okay so rashid how did you get into it you know who inspired you who was your role model well i didn't have any role model my role models at the time were ex-black footballers and white footballers. There was no Asian. So in terms of, you know, you said about, you know, I didn't have any support. I'm still obsessed. I have to be obsessed. You know, it's not about how many hours. I don't see that as a job. I'm wearing a tracksuit. I'm wearing a Premier League club. That's not even a job. Honestly, it's not a job, right? It's something you are passionately worked hard, but you want to make sure that you leave you know, something behind for the next generation. I think I'm getting, you know, the clubs I mentioned earlier, I think I'm building those rapport with them. And I think they're finally understanding because there's going to be a lot of visibility around South Asians in football. I mean, I call it, for me, it's like I'm hearing the same old stories, echoes from the past. This is what, it's like I'm going back to the future, one, two, and three. Honest, because now there's a lot of visibility you know, around the social media and, and and what you guys are doing with the podcast, right? It's amazing because you are focusing on the South Asian communities. We can't be talking this in another five, 10 years. We got to be talking about the positivity, what's happening. But we have to look back to, to go forward. We really have to look at the history and those two reports, 96 and the 2005. What's happened since then? Well, I've survived. Like Z, you mentioned about the cutthroat. I've had more titles than Amir Khan, more job titles than anyone. But I want to be in the pro game. I want to work in the foundation because I know in the foundation is sustainable, right? Where in the academy, you'll be able to get a part-time job or a part-time scout, and there's very limited opportunities. But I'm not saying it's not, it's, you know, things will evolve. There will be more opportunities. But I can only talk from my lived experiences and the knowledge. So all I'm doing is, is connecting people quickly, making sure I'm working at the professional club, League One. Fantastic guy. And I said, you are going to be the role model I was in the 90s for your community. So we need visibility. We need role models. But we need to make sure that they believe they belong to the beautiful game. They have to believe that, right? And, and there will be always going to be challenges, but we have to evolve, but we have to make sure there's support mechanism. And I think it's about positive and it's about encouragement. So they can pick the phone up if they're not sure of anything and you're there. And I think that's what they need. And I think that's what I'm providing. Not just in London, I've got coach, coaches from other parts of the country that'll get in touch with me, Rashid, what do you think of this? And I said, yeah, okay, maybe have you thought about consider doing this way? You know, some are asking, how do I set up a grassroots club? Fantastic. 
the more we have players playing affiliated football or unaffiliated football, that is where the talent is going to come from. Until we don't plant the seeds, we're not going to nurture them. We've got no one to nurture or grow. But yeah, in terms of the motivation still there, the obsession still there, but we still have to believe. I think you still have to believe, you know, you want the next generation to be involved in the professional game. But we've got to get the basement right. We really got to get the grassroots right in professionalizing. With your job, so you're working currently for the West Ham Foundation. How has your job role changed and evolved over the, how many years you've been with West Ham now? This is my 17th year. Wow, 17 years. Nearly as long as Mark Noble. Yeah, yeah, I think I might get one year extension. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like I said, for me, it's not about the job titles. You can, like, job titles are there. But I think I think sometimes you do more than your job titles. So the passion, so like I said, yes, I work for West Ham United Foundation as an employability and coach education manager. But I'm wearing a fair hat as well as a coach educator for level one and two. And mentoring, now the mentoring is evolved, which I'm going to come later on, the DNI of mentoring, diversity and inclusion in mentoring, which I'm part of the pilot for the FA to say what we can do, how it's going on. So I think that's going to be the model, you know, going forward. And it's already working. It's actually working. Uh, but I, th- I think we've got to think about looking forward at 2021. I think this is an exciting time to be a coach or a scout or any, anyone who wants to work in the professional game because there's so many visible role models, right, across the country. There's a visibility there. But we're not seeing the visit, you know, we're not seeing it on in the Premier League. But we don't have to look at the Premier League. We have to look at the English Football League and the non-league, right? We have to look at that because the Premier League, everyone said, I want to work at the Premier League Academy. Okay, that's fine. That's your long term. But how are you going to get there? What does your map look like? And this is where the mentoring comes from. So like I said earlier, so if, if someone wants to become a coach, I would sit down with them and we're going to start mapping their journey, short-term, medium-term, long-term, because you can't climb a mountain in straight away. You have to make sure you're going through that pathway. But during that pathway, you've got to have those mentoring sessions. You've got to, you've got to make sure those people get insight into the academy to see what academy football is like. This is for the coaches and even parents. It's something I'm working, what I would like to do moving forward. So I want to remodel, you know, what I think is going to work in the 20, in 2021. But I think there's a lots of, uh, lots of positivity now. You mentioned the FA. So what are you, what are you doing for the FA or with the FA? Yeah, so what happened with, with the FA, I've been a coach educator. I was coach educator when I was in Leicester. So this is where I was delivering the level one McDonald's junior football courses. And I used to work with the county FAs. So even though my role was with Leicester City Football Club, it was working with the county FAs as well. So I was linking the county FA as well and the local partners. Because I think without the stakeholders, the partners, you can't really move. You've got to have those partnerships. Okay. Now, my FA role, when I came, so I, I was still, the reason I came to West Ham was, obviously, because I used to deliver coach education in Leicester. And the role was education manager as well, to educate, train up coaches, train up coaches, South Asian coaches, both male and female. I did the female as well. I did the Bengali Women's Training Academy, where I trained up 10 Bengali women coaches, right, 
and they obviously they were coming in schools, but some of them are doctors, they're full-time job, you know, full-time uh, teachers. That was another challenge. Parents ringing me, how come my son's, my daughter's got a tracksuit? You know, honest, that, that was one of my best projects I've done in my 30 years because it was empowering women from certain community, right? And they were positive role models as well. But in terms of the FA, I think, I think like I said, I started as a volunteer, then a coach, then a coach educator, then a mentor, then I had opportunities to work, you know, coming to West Ham, I had opportunities to work in India as well as part of the Premier Skills. I worked with Indian Super League coaches. So I had opportunity to go there for three times with Premier League as part of West Ham United. I've been to China, again, Asians, but that's East Asians, culture, different teaching methodologies different, language barriers different. And then obviously I had the opportunity to go to Africa as well. So these are the lived experiences. But I think becoming, you can't just realize I want to be a coach. You've got to evolve as well because you can't coach eight hours a day. It's impossible. There's no jobs where you can do eight hours a day, right? So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to think more than a coach. You know, you want to make sure you study. You're doing degree courses in sports coaching. Or you're doing other other qualifications to enhance, you know, that opportunity. Because coaching in itself, yes, you can go and get the qualification, but you need the opportunity to get into the professional game. But you need to coach at grassroots football. I think coach education is very, very important because when I used to deliver coach education, straight away, they used to ask me, in fact, they used to say, we've never seen a British South Asian coach educator. I said, who are you expecting? Okay, cultural awareness. So if I knew there was coaches who were coming from certain Muslim communities, I had to, I had to change the timetable for prayer rooms, quiet room. This is where I'm talking about the diversity. It's not just about coaching. As a coach educator, you need to know that, right? Cultural, you need to know, you know, you have to do bespoke coaching courses. You've got to understand where the communities are coming from. You've got to understand, I remember we delivered a national level two talent ID course. I had everyone, South Asians, Far East Asians, coaches from all different backgrounds. I had to make sure the food was halal as well. So it's not just about what you do on the pitch. You've really got to understand off the pitch as well in terms of the diversity. But these are the things I think it's made me much better coach educator because I was working, I got to learn work with Eastern Europeans, the Bulgarians, you know, the Romanians. I need to know their culture, you know, the South Americans, the Spanish. These are the lived experiences. So I, I really understand their culture as well. But yes, the focus is South Asian. And I think through my journey with coach education, I've had a lot of mentors. I've had mentoring in football. I've had mentoring in coach education. I've had mentoring uh, support from the FA who gave me the opportunity. You get the opportunity, then it's up to you to take it to where you want to go. But it's that opportunity. But you've got to create your own opportunities as you go along. And that's what I said. You really have to have that obsession to you want to work in the game and you really want to make a change. You want to make an impact and you want to, aspire the next generation so that's a that's a growth mindset that's the mindset i'm going with i'm still evolving i'm still learning i'm learning what's current you know what happened last year what's going to be changing you know 
So we have to start looking in the future as well. But we've got to plan what the future will look like. But we've got to plant the seeds now to where we want to go. Because there's going to be days, you know, I moved from Leicester to West Ham. There's going to be a day when I have to move. There's going to be someone who's going to take and carry on what, what was, you know, planted 10, 15, 17, 20 years ago. That they're going to carry that. And I think, I think that would be a model across the country. During your, your journey, your coaching journey, and you've already mentioned that you've had, sometimes you've turned up and people have said they're surprised at Eurasian. Um, has, what, has there ever been any issues regarding that? And do you think people have either held back either in terms of support or taking on what you're telling them because you're Asian or has anything been more overt than that? No, I, I think, no, I think what it is traditionally, when I went on the courses, they were all white coach educators. When I went to the academy, it was all white coaches, white scouts, and I'm only the Asian. But they had to understand that where I'm coming from, types of Asian, there's five types of Asians in the world, but I'm coming from a South Asian background. So I to educate, it's called reverse mentoring. At that time, it was called, it's reverse mentoring. So you hear about reverse mentoring now. Well, that was done. I used to reverse mentor with a, a coach who used to work with me, and he's a first-team coach at Burnley. So we, I had to tell him about, you know, the culture, you know, the timings during the fasting month, the coaching sessions, the parents. So it's, it's, it's not just about that football. You've got to have the knowledge of everything because you have to educate someone who's not from that faith or the from that community. So I, I think there was no visibility. So I, when I used to go coach, I always see white coaches. Did they have the understanding of the culture awareness? Did they understand the prayer times? Did they understand, you know, certain communities that can't take, you know, certain things they wear as part of their religion? They can't take that off. Did they know about it? No, they didn't because they were football educators. They come, deliver, and they go away. Well, I, I did the reverse side. I'm there afterwards i'm not just there from delivering the course and i've gone i'm there with all the time the visibility is there now the reason they they're seen is because they want to find a russian you you know your accent's different where are you from yeah oh we haven't seen you uh, okay uh so when i do my introduction i i said look ask me questions ask me questions rather than me putting a slide where i've started because if i told them it took me 30 years to get here people are going to think psychologically Oh my God, is it going to take me 30 years? I don't have 30 years. I don't want them to think like that. I want to think around is there is opportunities now. There's no fast track. There's no fast track in the professional game. As a player, as a coach, as an ex-pro, there's no fast track. You can have your qualification. It doesn't, you have to have those experiences on the pitch and in the communities. And for me, the as a community practitioner, it's meant to be a better coach, better coach educator, a better mentor, and I can link the professional game with the grassroots because I've lived those experiences. Okay. Now, when they talk to me, I said, okay, Russian, so where are you from? And uh, I said, where do you think I'm from? And they said, oh, you're from here. Oh, no, you're not from, you're not from this country, you know. And I said, oh, we didn't know that, right? But what it is, it's about building that rapport with them. And then, we, you know, they come and talk to me. But the way I sort of do it, I want to listen to them. So as a coach educator or a mentor, I listen to them. 
because it's about their journey. It's not about my journey. I'm going to try to help them where they want to go from A to Z, not from A to B. It has to be A for, it's not about the journey. It's, it's where the destination is going to be. So if they were going to ask me where I'm from, did I play football? Did I do it? Yes, I did. Did you have a mentor? Yes, I, I still got mentors currently. Mentoring is, I think, it's a long term. I've got mentors in different areas, different fields. But I, th- I think when they look at me, they say, Rashid, okay, how do, you, how do I become a mentor? Okay, this is the pathway to become a mentor after coaching. Okay, how do I become a coach educator? Okay, this is the route we need to go. So this is why I came said part of the mentoring is it has to be formal. It has to be structured. So I know that individual might want to do short-term level two course or maybe medium-term, they might want to do a B license. But then they might want to become A license or they might want to do talent ID at different levels. So they have to have a map. But it's about their journey and it's going to be driven by those individuals. I'm not going to dictate how you know how long it's going to take them. It's going to be that individual. All I'm doing is giving them a platform, the opportunity to get the one foot in the door, and then they're going to, you know, when he said about the barriers, well, I opened the door. As soon as I got in, I believed I belonged in the professional game. because. But then I don't forget my DNA, which is my the community. It's still my DNA because I know I'm working with the 99% who've got nothing. It's that 1% in the academy pyramid who makes the professional game. So we have to have the safety safety uh, sort of, you know, network as, as well. So when they come in, how we can support them. Uh, so I, I think, yes, I want people to ask me. I want people to challenge me. You know, what was it like working in the pro game? What's it like being as a coach educator? What's it like being as a mentor? I can share those experiences. And it's and it's not it's not been rosy as well in the last thirty years. Going back to Leicester for fourteen years, but it's twenty years about you know with volunteering, there was turbulence. Leicester getting relegated, I was out of the game. Went to Birmingham City. Leicester said you can't go Birmingham. Come back. I've had those experiences. Highlights. I've had you know least highlights as well. There has been where things, oh, one minute you're wearing a tracksuit, next minute you're out. And you're thinking, how am I going to go now? What do I do now? But, yes, I'll apply to other other clubs and opportunities were other clubs. But Leicester was my DNA because I thought it was unfinished business. I had to go back there. And I think whatever I've left there now, right, 17 years ago, right, and you can see, you know, what's happening in the in that at that club, what's happening with the grassroots f- football. And I think that could be a benchmark and a, and a model of delivery across the country. But I think you have to, right, you have to start, you've got to get more coaches working in the foundations and then working towards their way up into the, either recruitment or the academy or any other departments. But you have to open that door. You have to create the opportunity. The opportunity for me was a life-changing opportunity. And I took it. Cool. Um, so, Rashid, you mentioned about Leicester and the certain clubs um, who have best practice. Now, just looking at grassroots, because the grassroots is pretty much the 99% of football um, in terms of how the pyramid is structured, right? Is there, would you like to see more clubs working together 
just say if you've got predominantly Asian clubs and there's some who are doing best practice and have the links yeah. uh, with the pro club, would you want the, would you like to see more kind of connections between different grassroots Asian-led clubs across the country to share best practice with each other? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, I think that's, that's going to be the way forward. So I've got a webinar tonight, South Asians in football. Yeah, first time I'm delivering and I've got five versions. I'm going to stick with my fifth version, what the future looks like. What will the future look like and how I can inspire and empower them? In coming back to the best practice, I think, like I said, you know, I've been privileged to where the, you know, work for the FA as a coach educator, as a mentor, and I've, I've, I've helped them in all the roadshows. I've been, you know, I've been to all majority of the roadshows, you know, uh, building communities together and all that. I've been part of that as well. But I think there's time to move it to the next level. And you're right. I I think you've got to have, it has to be focused work. Because at the moment, yes, uh, we want to increase the diversity at, at all levels, the Black and the South Asians. I think we still are underrepresented. So my focus now is, yes, we've got to focus on the South Asians. Yes, we have to encourage other communities communities for integration as well but there has to be a project where you're focusing and you're identifying potential players you identify potential coaches who can move to the next level you will need people working in the community you will need people working in the professional game you will need people working not just coaches you know as a scout as an snc strength and conditioning coach you might need someone working in the marketing the media right a mentoring role, I think the mentoring role is going to be massive. We need mentoring role in the professional academy to link with the grassroots club. But you've got to have someone who's got that connection. You have to have that connection. So, Can so I just interrupt we'll, for a second? Sorry, when, yeah. you, when you talk about mentoring, and so you just said mentoring is crucial, yeah. why? Is that because you, if Asians enter the game, they're scared off or they just don't see other Asians and therefore they fall out? Why why is mentoring so important? I think I think I think with mentoring, you know, it's about the individual's journey. So when I'm working with ment- mentees, it's about their journey. Where do they want to go? And if I can help them. So say if I if I took them to an academy, yeah, they're gonna feel confident. Am I right? Because I'm there. Yeah. I'll introduce them to the people. It's the same thing with the parents. You're mentoring parents as well. So if you've got potential players or coaches, right, it's the visibility. Yes, you're right. If, they, if they're going to turn up at a professional environment, academy, you know, probably they might not be confident. They might not know anyone, right? Uh, maybe they might not see the coaches who look like them. So that could be a language there as well, right? Confidence. It could be self-esteem, right? Cultural awareness. So this is where I think, yes, you can make coaching is per, is brilliant. I think with mentoring, you can make a massive impact because coaching is about performance. Mentoring is about long term. It's about it's about that mentee or a player you're supporting. So, yes, you've got to have mentors who are mentoring the players in the professional game. Right. You've got to have different types of mentors in the professional game, but you've got to have mentors at grassroots footballs as well. I think you've got to have more mentor. You've got to have more coaches, but I think you've got to have mentors as well because I can't do everything. But what I can do, I can mentor the mentors so they can mentor 
the next generation of coaches, the volunteers, the 16, 17-year-old, maybe the parents, maybe, you know, I mean, what I noticed when I was still living coach education and it, I found that there was a lot of coaches who came on level one at 18, they're going to university. So they're going, they're actually going to university to do sports coaching, coaching and performance. I had one who said he's doing, he's becoming a doctor. He loves football. And I'm thinking that is the next generation. That is the next generation because they wear different lenses to what I wore. They see things very, very differently. Okay. They've been brought up very, very differently. Our cultures are very, very different. You know, sometimes you've got to adapt to the environment. At home, you're different. At work, you're different. It's very, it's not, it's not that straightforward. It's not. But when you're wearing a badge, you've got to be, when you're wearing a football badge, a professional badge, you've got to believe that you belong there. And in terms of the confidence and all that, yes, if someone's never been to in a professional academy, they will be nervous. But if I met them at the gate, take them in, introduce them, show the academy, show them the professional environment, let them experience what the coaches are delivering, spoke to, speak to relevant people, I'm actually connecting and building their confidence as well. But we've got to make sure the grassroots football really understand what the pathways, like so, you know, Z said, it's about the pathway. Do they actually know that they might be working with a potential player? How do I get them in, in the professional game? But how do I know? So it's the same thing. If you're looking for talent ID, you're going to the grassroots to look for those players, yeah? I think we're going to do a talent ID looking for the best South Asian coaches. You have to look for the best potential, like you look for the players. Okay, I'm going to take you to the academy. I think you're going to be a very good coach. You're not ready yet. You're not finished article. None of us are finished article. We're evolving, right? Even in the professional game, Pep Guardiola and the top, top managers, they're evolving because the game is changing. But if I see a potential player, I've got to have a pathway. If I see a potential coach, I've got to have a pathway, right? But then I, I think it's the link. For me, I think we need to have more link between the grassroots club, the South Asian clubs, and the professional academy. It has to be halfway house. There's got to be someone who can look either side and become, become your the academy integration role, what I said, what I did. And I'm that, telling you, it will work. Is the onus on the professional clubs to do that? Or is it is the onus on clubs from Asian areas to reach out and create those I, I, I think if you if you look at the current landscape, everyone's talking about the DNI, diversity inclusion, yeah? People were talking about BAME. I don't even know what BAME is because I'm not BAME. I'm Asian. I'm South Asian. We're the most underrepresented and we have to focus on the A. We can't mix everything up, right? So the mindset has to be, yes. So I'm very privileged at West Ham to go into those communities and work with them in mentoring, to get them trained up as coaches. Not just working, you know, if they want to work in the women's game, how do we signpost them to go and work in the women's team, right? But you've got to have someone who's 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 got that the model that is going to work but you have to have that partnership you have to have the connection you know if we're going to have the best practice in the country there's been grassroots club playing in some parts of the country for years but there's no link with the professional club 
So how are we going to inspire them to become a coach at the professional game? We're talking about professional coach. I'm a, you know, there's a community coach, there's a professional coach in the boys' team or the girls' team. But I think I I think around the inclusion, the diversity, and the and the FA diversity code, and you know, the EDI and all that. I think I think the communities are already there. The communities haven't moved; they're still there. We have to. I call it the helicopter role. I have to be helicopter in those areas. I need to know what's happening. I need to know what's happening with the grassroots club. I need to know what's happening with the faith groups. I need to know what's happening with affiliation football. I need to know what's happening with unaffiliated football. I need to know where are the next generation of coaches coming? Where are the next visibility going to come in? So, so again, that's why I said earlier, for me, in the last year, it's been around South Asians in football. South, and I'm thinking, hold on. I've heard that same old stories echoes from the past. Who was in my time when I was doing that? Michael Chopra, Zesh, Amrit Sidhu at Derby, Harpal Singh, Adnan at Man United, you know, then Huddersfield, you know, Jimmy Carter, you know. So those players were already there and they were making a breakthrough in the professional game. Now we got Hamza Chowdhury, you got you got Jan Danda, you got Danny Barth, you got Neil Taylor, you got Ali Raza, Jahans Bar from Brighton. Again, he's from Iran, South Asian, part of South Asian culture. So we, you know, we got to be, you know, when we're talking South Asians, there's Afghanistan communities, there's Nepal, there's Maldives, there's Sri Lankans. So we can't just focus on, yeah, we're going to be South Asian. Within South Asians, we've got to focus on those communities who are not engaged. So, so the, the helicopter role is seeing, okay, there's a big community at Seven Kings, state community, what's happening there? I know what's happening in Tower Hamlets. I know what's happening in Redbridge. Oh, what's happening in Redbridge? There's a big Tamil group. What's happening there? You have to have that presence. So by me going into those clubs, there's a visibility, building trust, right? Go and see what they're doing coaching in the, with the boys' team or the girls' team. Speak to the coaches, speak to the parents and get to listen to them because in the grassroots environment, the 99%, the priority might be very, very different. Yeah, I go to watch grassroots football. I've done it in when I was in Leicester. I, I do here. I don't see the parents. Some places I don't see the parents. Yes, there are other parents who are going to take their sons or daughters to the games. But we got to understand the le- local demographics. They might not be there because they might be working. They might not have that support mechanism. So what we need to do, we need to go and get in the area where they can see you and they can say, I want to become like you. Yeah, I've written something really Billie Jean King, you know, the tennis player said. Yeah, and I've written it here, right? You have to see it to be it. You have to see it to be it. That means we're going to see more Asian players playing, South Asian. We're going to have more South Asian coaches coaching, scouting, working in the pro game. That's when people are going to say, I can see it, I want to be it. And that's what we need. If we are going to make a move forward and change the landscape rather than waiting for the 25-year report, which I think it didn't help me, no one helped me. I don't want the next generation to be like, because I have to be resilient. I'm still resilient. I still believe, yes, I can do it. 
it's not finished yet. If I can leave something for the next generation to say, you are the future, and the future is going to be the South Asians. But we have to create those opportunities in every football, in, the, in, in, in every department. We've got to see that visibility. Can I just touch upon the report, the, the yeah. 1996 report? Um, I've got two questions on that. One is, um, what was your involvement in the report at the time? Because he mentioned Jazz Baines and Rajan and other members as well. And secondly, what do you think the, imp- the desired impact was meant to be for the report? And what do you think the desired, what, what do you think the actual impact has been from that report 25 years on? 25, yeah, 96. Uh... That's when Alan Chiro become the richest, first richest player in the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. Looking back, I I think the, that report. I remember prior to writing those report, and Jazz and Raj, they used to come and consult. And if you look at the reports, and I've got copies of these. Yeah, I'm in there. Leicester were the first one in the country. So Jazz used to come and talk about what's happening, uh, what's happening at Leicester, because he used to work with John Williams from De Montfort University and Steve Bradbury, Foxes Against Racism. You know, Z, we're going back, you're talking about, yeah? So they were all involved in the writing report and you had corner flats, corner shops. I'm in there. First report, then the second report, National NAF, I think National Football Asians in Football Forum. I wasn't involved in that. And yet I was working the professional game, still working the professional game. But if you look at back those reports, yes, I think the reports were very, very important because there was no one doing an academic research what was actually happening. So the, you know, Baines and the Patel and, you know, I, yes, if I look back, what's happened since the report? Have we moved on? Have we actually moved on? Have I moved on? I think as a person, I moved on. I think as a person, I moved on. But there was no support mechanism. we got to stop We've got to stop talking about we've got to do it. We've got to stop talking about the strategy. We've got to strategy, yes, we know what the strategy is. We've got to go and do that strategy. Strategy should be just 20% now. 80% we gotta deliver. We have to deliver, but we have to deliver a strategy, right? That these clubs are established for 50 years. I can't go to those clubs and say, let's talk about increasing participation. Rashid, you were here 50 years ago. 40, you know, 30 years ago, yeah? I'm telling those clubs, you shouldn't even talk about increasing participation. You talk, you should be talking about setting up talent ID centres at your facilities. You've got to make sure your A licence and B licence are working in the professional game and they are delivering those academy-type sessions for talented coaches and talented players. You shouldn't be talking about increasing participation. You've done it. You've got 25 nearly 30 teams, you've got 40 coaches. Some parts of the country, we're not even there yet. We're not even there yet. I'm doing an audit with certain clubs. There's about 20 level twos. Probably they did about five, 10 years ago. Oh my God, we really got to refresh those courses for them to move to the next level. Yes, the report whether to give people guidelines to say, you know, this is where the issue was. This were the issues, but what were the solutions? There was nothing there. The national governing body wasn't even there. There was no funding when I started football in the community. The funding that used to come from the Professional Football Association, because the PFA did it that anyone, any scholar 16 to 18 who didn't make it, they become coaches at level one and level two. So I got the opportunity to get into that scheme. 
for 12 months, voluntary. And like I said, you know, in terms of the resilience, I've done everything. I've drove the van to take the boys to the academy to Nottingham, Derby, cleaning vans, cleaning footballs, cleaning kit. You name it, I've done it. So it's nothing new. It was like the all YTS scholars cleaning the boots. But I was learning what's it like, the discipline, the professionalism, right? And that, that are, those are lived experiences. But in terms of coming back to the report, if that report now is moved on, because the FA have got a new strategy around diversity and inclusion, yeah? And part of this pilot mentoring I'm doing for the FA is I want to do it a very different. So I used to do mentoring for FA quite a while ago, five years ago. But this pilot mentoring, I want to do it in a very different way. It's very creative that I want to focus on the South Asians coaches. But I need to get an audit of those coaches where they are. How many teams are playing in the club? Are they playing affiliated? Are they faith groups? Yes, there are faith groups. 60 kids every Saturday morning, no coaches. The coaches are volunteers. Well, what if you find a talent there? What's going to happen? Missed opportunity. So I, I think for me, the current role around the four-year strategy FF got in terms of, and I said, it's a great time to become a coach because what you've got, you've had your previous guest from the FA talking about FA bursary, yeah? Coaching bursary. I never had that. You got club placement at the academy. I never had that. Now you've got the Premier League. You know, they want uh, black and South Asian coaches on a two-year scheme. I never had that. Things have moved on. But I think, yes, there are opportunities at that level. And I think it's fantastic. But then we've got to make sure, is it filtered down to the grassroots club, the 99% to say, Rashid, what is a club placement? How do I get into academy? How can I apply to a full-time job? And this is where, Apu, when he said about the mentoring, I'm not just going to mentor them how to be a coach. That's the easy part to be a coach. Is can are you going to be employable? Do you have the employability skills? So when you when you apply for the jobs at the foundation or the academy or the recruitment, has anyone looking at your CV? What does your CV look like? What does your presentation skills look like? What research have you done for the job you're applying for? These kind of things. I remember when I got the job, when I came for interview at West Ham, I did the research around. Green Street and the clubs and all did all the research. I said, I've got to wear a West Ham colour tie. I had to because straight away they knew that this guy's done his research. Yes, I have. I've done the research. So this is this other little experience. I'm telling the next gen, okay, you want to become an academy coach? That's brilliant. I really like your enthusiasm and the passion. Have you been to the academy? No, I haven't. How can I get into it? Okay, we're going to have a model in place where you, I can take you for CPDs. So fantastic opportunity with the FA diversity and inclusion strategy with people who are working, giving those opportunities from the FA around the bursaries, the club placement. That is working at the professional game. Where I can support is how we can get the grassroots linking with the professional game and the FA. How can the, you know, people will come and say, Rashid, okay, give me 10 players, 10 coaches, who you think they're ready for the academy role? I would say straight away, yes, I've got them because I've been mentoring them. So the mentoring role is going to be different. It's not just about, yes, you go and see them, how they coach in their own environment, how they're improving as a coach, as a communicator, the qualities and the skills of a coach. But how can I get them, those who are 
inspired, you know, to work at the at the next level. So I know what the strategy is, their face strategies. I know who the relevant people who are working with the bursaries. I know people who are working at the club placement. I know what the Premier are looking for in terms of, you know, this new role they've got, the DNI working in, in the academy, two-year projects, right? But how do I filter that down to the grassroots coaches? If there's no visibility, they're going to miss out. That's missed opportunities. They might not be ready for it, but at least they're getting used to filling an application, thinking about the, the more they do, the better they're going to become to work. They're going to be speaking the right language. It's different language with your community and the elite mindset of football is completely different. Talent ID language is very, very different. So I have to change my mindset from community to the academy. I'm speaking, speaking their language, the academy language. The terminology is very, very different. But the professionalism and the understanding, I think what we got, we got as South Asians, I'm talking, we, we are very unique. We are very authentic. We're very unique. And what we got to do is, right, I can be a coach, but then I understand a lot of different things around the diversity. I can speak to the parents, different languages. I can connect with them. But if you've got one coach, right? Remember, traditionally, those those white coaches and white scouts going into white clubs, yeah? Am I right? That has to change. They've got to be South Asian scouts going into South Asian clubs. They've got to go to these tournaments, Asian tournaments. They've got to have a pathway for scouting. They've got to have a pathway for coaching. They've got to have the mentoring role to say, yes, you want to work at the academy as a coach or a scout, as a awesome, you know, in the media, there has to be that connection. There has, there has to be a pathway. The more parents see the visibility of a coach from a professional club from South Asia, they're going to feel confident. Language might not be a problem. Yeah. And people have asked me, but Rashid, why do you keep talking about languages? I said, you don't know where I'm, areas I'm working with. What if I said, don't see the parents and I'm seeing moms who bring their son, but they won't talk to me because of the culture barrier. So I need to bring someone they can feel relaxed to talk about. It could be language barrier. I've had North African communities on the phone. Tell me more about this. I can't understand the language. This is a cultural awareness. And part of my mentoring is whoever I'm going to be working with currently, which I am, I'm going to say, what do you know about the cultures? Because if they're going to work in the professional game, they actually need to know their own culture. And I don't mean only their culture the other South Asian cultures, they really need to know. They really need to know the timings, you know, all the festivals, diversity, what's going to happen next month with coaches who are working in, in a professional environment who might be fasting. What if their coaches are working and then you go over Saki coming up? You know, they need to know more than, a, you know, the ball rolling. And this is where the mentoring I've been saying is going to be very, very key. And it has to be linked between the coaching and the mentoring. But we need, and I think what we've got now here, and I wish I had that 25 years ago, the support mechanism. We've got networks in the country. I can pick a phone up and I can speak to someone who looks like me and we talk about coach education. I can pick the phone up and I can speak to someone about coaching who looks like me. Same with the mentoring. Talent ID, a massive area, big gap in the industry, a massive gap. No one's talking about it. 
I think it's a massive gap. Everyone's talking about coaching, coaching, coaching. Well, what if you don't want to be a coach? You want to become a talent spotter. We need people in different areas with different skill sets because there's not enough jobs as full-time to be a coach. So we start as a volunteer. We start as a part-time coach. Then he becomes a sessional coach. Then he becomes an office and a development officer, then manager and so on. So like I said, I've gone through those pathways to where I am now. But if someone rang me today, yes, I'll speak to them. But that might be informal mentoring. I'll just have a chat. What do you want to know? Okay, can we meet up and have it structured? Because when you've got a structure, you know where your map is, where you're going. It's not about, okay, you know, I want to do this, Rashid. I want to do, okay, why do you want to do it? First thing I said, why do you want to be a coach? Why? Why do you want to be a coach? Oh, I've got passion. Okay. Okay, I want to work in the professional academy. Yes, I like your enthusiasm. You ready for 75 hours a week? You don't know what Saturday, Sunday is? Yeah? I've been through this. Three nights in the evening. Two days at the academy. Yeah? Taking Friday off because of Friday prayers. That's what that was in Leicester. That's what I agreed. I need to have Friday off. I don't mind Saturday, Sunday. I don't mind in the evening, coming in the evening. But for Friday, I need that. You've got to be flexible. I think the way things are evolving now, right? And I think what might be very, very, you know, in all this because of the COVID and the, now the focus is on blended learning. So you do online learning, then we go face to face. So we have to evolve. Mentoring is going to be online. It will be face to face. Interviews are going to be online. So how do we equip the next generation of the leaders? How are we going to do it? We have to upskill them. It's not just saying there's an opportunity at this club, at this club, and that poor person will say, Rashid, I don't understand this question. I don't understand this. This is where the mentoring comes in. So we need to, we need to, uh, if you're going to inspire, and I think we, we really got to be out there and we really need, need to listen to where the coaches want to go. Some coaches are happy to work in grassroots football because they've got professional jobs in the city. I'm talking London now, yeah? They've got professional jobs, right? But they're doing it because of their son playing or their daughter. But then you've got others who are, who are studying in university, part of our sports degree, coaching and performance, academy degree. Rashid, I want to work at the academy. Okay, I'm studying this. Oh, brilliant. I've got your level one, level two. I've done level one. Okay, how can we support you to get to level two? You're doing coaching and performance. The way things are going to happen in in the professional game, I think, this is my opinion, they are going to be looking for coaches who've got degrees, not just with coaching badges. They're either going to be teachers, and I can see that happening, but they can't just go with just, I'm a football coach from a local community. They have to have that transferable skills. And even now, you know, we've adapted in the last a year using Teams and Zoom. So the technology, the blended learning, but how am I going to do blended learning with the communities I'm working with where they're coming from low economic status, overcrowded housing, high unemployment? And this is where I'm thinking, I've got to give you my 150% because someone helped me to where I am because I'm coming from the same community. I'm still that same person. I'm wearing a different tracksuit. I think my hair is still the same. Yeah. It's a bit shorter now. So my DNA is still there. It doesn't matter where I move. I'm still the same person because 
of the humbleness where someone gave me opportunity. I want to see the next generation, someone taking over my role. But how? How am I going to do that? I have to go and talk to them and be at their level. Go and listen to them at their level. Listen to them. They might have not have finance to do B license. They might not have finance to do level two. They might not even have finance to travel to professional academy. We have to go into those areas and we have to have, I call the footprints. We got to have the footprints so they can pick up the phone anytime and they need any advice. And the good thing about this technology I mentioned, right? You can have a quick half an hour catch up on the mentoring on the team or the Zooms. Yeah, because we all have to evolve. But I have to educate the coaches now in those areas to say, you have to get familiar with, with technology because that is not going away. That's what the future of coach education is going to look like. You are going to be interviewed, whether it's for the foundation or the academy, the talent ID, they will do it online. Are you familiar with teams? Are you... So we're going to teach those, you know, IT. We're really going to do it. But you got to remember, they might not have those resources at home. They might not have it. There might be 17, 18 who are not working, who have been long-term unemployed, but they want to become a coach. And this is what I'm saying is it's, like, it's about giving the opportunity and it's, it's a life-changing opportunity for someone. And I have seen some fantastic case studies where people have started level one, level two, set up their own clubs, and they're doing really well and they're happy with what they're doing. But it's all about that connection and the opportunity. And, and they've got someone to pick up the phone and they can speak to. And I think that's where we have to focus now. If we are going to make any impact in the game, we don't just want one. You know, people said we want the first Premier League player. Well, Jimmy Carter, Frank Sue, yeah, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, Hamza Chowdhury now. We need to see more players playing in all different leagues. We need to see more coaches working in different leagues, professional leagues including semi-pro, if they get the opportunity, it's about the opportunity. Because the traditional mindset has been semi-pros, ex-pros finish playing, they go into the semi-pro and they take their friends who are ex-pros. What chance have we got? So we have to set up our own Asian leagues to set to play step five, get that opportunity. League one, league two, you've got end championship, and Premier League, and you've got play, ex-players or managers coming down and down. So we've got to make sure the visibility is not off the pitch. It's got to be on the pitch. And we have to, we have to make sure we, we talk about it, but less talking, more doing. That's what I believe. I don't want to talk about it. I want to do it. And that's what we've got to go with the mindset. And those of us who, who's going to be listening on this, you've got to believe in that. But you've got to make things happen. And you've got to believe in your, in your ability You've got to be confident. You mentioned about confidence. I am confident. I can go to the academy and talk the same language because I've lived those experiences. But what about someone who's never been anywhere near the professional game? Well, we have to mentor them. We take them to those environments to, to they get used to it. They listen, they learn, they see, oh, I really like that, but I want to get there. How do I get there? And this is where you can start supporting individuals or the group of coaches to where they want to be. The big thing for me is there's certain individuals who are mentioned or who are around in times of the 90s and 2000s, like yourself, are still around now and they've had evolved roles. Uh, we had someone previously on the pod, uh, Butch, Butch Fuzzle, 
someone yeah. who's come from grassroots and, and being within a community now having a role within the FA. Um, yeah. And that's, for me, those are, those are good successes because we're saying yeah. that we have lived, like you're talking about lived examples, we have examples that we can reference to of individuals yeah. who have evolved within the game to show it's possible to do so. So I'm always, I'm always heartened uh, when, when you hear someone who's had such a, a steep uh, history in football. Um, we're talking about f- 30 years, three decades, changing yeah. evolution time. That's almost like I'm in my 30s myself. So you're talking about in terms of my upbringing and, and, and um, understanding the world, you've lived that time yeah. and lived the changes. So it's, yeah. um, it's always a, a pleasure to hear the insight. And I guess what's so nice, I guess I think I would agree that you, the enthusiasm you still have despite everything that's happened, the the barriers like you're saying you didn't have you don't have the same kind of doors open for you that you can see opening for others now but you're seeing yeah. that as a positive rather than yeah, a, you know very there's good. certain people who see as a as a i don't want to say bitter but they're like oh i didn't have that when i was coming through so why is it happening for other people but your mindset is the other other side i didn't have it's it it's opposite but yeah i can do stuff and there's doors opening and there's opportunity yeah. so i think it's so yeah. important to have those um affirmations all the time that there will be opportunities but one thing that everyone has spoken everyone we've spoken to has said that you have to you have to take the opportunity and you have to work yeah yeah and and you know you mentioned about birch and there's others positive role models out there yes that has been a success and it's good to see that because with some of them it was similar journey maybe i I sort of focus working in the professional game I didn't go into teaching or education. But when I look up to those people, I said, I've got someone who can, I can speak to because we've gone through those experiences, whether, you know, they've been challenging. But you're right. I'm, I'm thinking that in the next five years or 10 years, we shouldn't be talking about what we're talking now. We have to make a change. We have to change the landscape because there's people, are, people up there, you mentioned, and others across the country, you know, they're actually, they're doing amazing work. But how do we show everyone's journey? How do we share? How do we promote, you know, good practice? And I, I know on your podcast, you've got some amazing speakers, guest speakers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, some with lived experience, some are very new to the game, right? And I think I think you've got to see the whole, you know, the holistic picture. And what you said, Z, in, in terms of, yes, I want to see someone else from East London, East London, born and bred, to be the next me or the next who. Because if I don't give the baton to someone else to carry it, then we're going to be talking about this in the next 15, 20 years. And you're going to say, well, we spoke about it in 2021. And I think the 2020 has given everyone reflection. It really gave me a reflection when I look back and I'm thinking, and my presentation tonight, so what are we going to do? Why is there a lack of South Asian footballers playing in the game? I know the answers. I've told you all the answers. I want to see the group tonight telling me what lenses they're wearing. What lenses are they wearing, right, to tell me this is not happening, this is not happening. Oh, so what are we going to do now? What are we actually going to do about it? So we, we have to, you know, we've got, we got professional role models, we've got players, we've got ex-players, we've got, we need to see more of that. But we need to make sure we don't forget the foundation, the building blocks 
the building blocks of our communities because our communities are emerging now. You know, the next generation who are born here, they are very, very different. They might not see a South Asian because their friends might be from all different cultures, you know? So they might see things differently. But we got to start thinking, it's not just about the players. Yeah, players are important, coaches, scouts, fans. What about the fans? How come we're not encouraging more fans at the club? Why? So we've got to look at the holistic picture. And I think at the moment, the focus is too much about coaching. Oh, coach, coach, coach. No, we're more than a coach. We're more than a coach community. We've got other transferable skills. We've got other disciplines. We've got other core values we can bring to the professional game. And I think there's fantastic people out there. I think we just need to connect together. I think we need to talk and we need to share together rather than everyone doing things in isolation. But for me, if you're not linked with a professional club, your grassroots football are going to be doing what they've done for the next 15 years or five years. You've got to have a pyramid. You've got to have a pathway. You've got, you've got to have a mentoring program to inspire the next generation of coaches and leaders. And that is both male and female game. Switching to the club for a second, I know we've had discussions before and you've said West Ham are one of the most proactive clubs when it comes to engaging the community and being aware of Asians or the lack of Asians in football. So you've you've explained what Asians in football means to you and you want to see Asians in all aspects of the game and in all aspects of a club as well from the marketing right through to coaching and playing as well. How about for the club? How about for West Ham United? What are their aims with regards to Asians in football? Is it just about engagement in the community or are they doing anything proactive to get the next player in? I, th- I think, and this is why I, t- I spoke about the mentoring role. This is where I'm connecting everything. I'm trying to connect everything around, you know, the uh, equality, diversity and inclusion. So around my my sort of coach education hat, my employability role, my mentoring role. I, I want to connect with those clubs, which I've already started. Uh, we've got a webinar tonight. I'm going to those individual clubs next week. I've done an audit of how many coaches I've got at level one twos, how many teams these, are playing affiliated. These are to grassroots clubs. clubs, right? These are the grassroots club in East London, okay? Uh, there are other clubs who are mainly focused on the men's football, but I want to focus on the high... Uh, clubs who have been going for so long and they were playing affiliated football. Okay. How can I connect them? Then I'm going to connect. I've got to be there in, in, in the, those areas. Right. I've got the, I've got the report with them. I've got, I've built, I've built the trust with them. And if you look at the, if you look at the club itself, the only player we've had is Anwayudi from Stepney Tower Hamlets. Yeah. Probably when he was playing, there wasn't many grassroots clubs. Right when I when I came to London, East London, there weren't many grassroots clubs. The focus was on men's football, adult football. Nothing wrong with it, but now there's lots of grassroots football club. You know, in Tower Hamlets and in Newham and Redbury. But in terms of that connection, I think I think it's important the visibility. So I remember we used to take grassroots coaches to the academy for CPD. So they knew what the academy was looking like, you know, what kind of players they're looking for, right? 
Now, with my mentoring hat now, I'm working on a lot of new different models, right? Different models where I want to make sure the opportunities are those for those coaches to go and experience what's it like at the academy. What's it like to become a scout? So I'm building a lot of, you know, bespoke webinars around a talent ID. So if someone wants to become a talent ID, I want to do a one-hour workshop. But then I'm going to have a talent ID expert from the professional game. What are they looking for those those players? Now, just coming back to you, you know, there was a stereotyping the Asian players are small. Do you remember? Yeah. Well, they're looking for small players now because the game is evolved. Your strikers are very small players now. Yeah. Our creative players are small players now. So things are evolving. Things have to change. The days are gone. We're looking for a big six-footer from hip to toe. They're looking for players who are creative as well. You know, nothing wrong playing in you know the Asian leagues and that because it could have been mindset. It could be traditional issues they've had in the past. I think I see a lot of positivity now. When I communicate with this grassroots club and they get back to me, they want help, Rashid, when you come into my club. I said, okay, let me know when you're training, when you, how many coaches you've got. And my my role going is going to be going out next week to those coaches, but I'm still connecting with them online. But I have to connect with them, right? And then I can connect with the recruitment and the academy. But I have to make sure that the connection with the community is solid, is strong, is present. The visibility is there. Then we can start talking about it. So. By me doing an audit of those clubs, and I'm in current database, what is happening currently. So I can go to those clubs and look at the under-10s training. I can go and see what the under-10s coach is like, how I can support them to be, for the coach to become better so the player can improve. It's about development. It's around the development. It's around making sure they get the best opportunity. But we've got to give the knowledge and the confidence to those coaches to say, okay, I would coach like this, but that is part of the mentoring. So in terms of the connection, the demographics, everything is there. Is I got to come up with a model where I would say, okay, talent ID, players, coaches, and then I got to work around those mentoring programs. The grassroots is fine. That's going to evolve. That's going to get better. But we got to make sure that we don't miss out the potential of players, the potential of coaches and the potential of scouts because they're out there we have to go and look for it i have to go and look for it but i know that because i've been on my level one football level two football talent id all they need is that opportunity they need that opportunity you know you must have spoken and i always tell people Rashid, you know when he started leicester what was the first thing i said i wanted a tracksuit i actually wanted a leicester tracksuit I can go and buy it. No, it's not the same. I want to wear that tracksuit. Everyone starts with a tracksuit and the journey continues. I've had 17 tracksuits now, by the way. Nine first team managers come and go. Over 30 tracksuits because we want that tracksuit. And I can see, Apple, you've got tracksuit top as well, yeah? That's what it is. That's what the coaches want, Rashid. When they come to be the first thing they Rashid, when do I get the tracksuit? And I'm thinking, you're doing exactly what I did 30 years ago because it's about the tracksuit. A coach needs a tracksuit, but we got to make sure it's not just about the tracksuit. It's about giving those opportunity and that player 
all that coach, they're evolving and they're getting the right knowledge and they're getting a lot of mentoring behind it and support mechanism. And they feel confident to pick the phone up and can speak to me. If I can't help them, I've got other networks who can help them. We never had the networks in the 90s. I didn't have anyone to talk to because there was no one who worked in the industry to understand what challenges I was going through. But those challenges and the resilience is what's made me a better person, better coach, coach educator, better community worker, because I can share. I've got that empathy as well. But I think in terms of the model with the club and that, right, I think what I did in Leicester and what I did some parts of when I started in, in East London, I want to move it to the next level. And that model, I think, is going to be the best practice in the country because it's going to work, because it's worked in Leicester. It's worked here. But in that model, is he has to evolve. But we have to have creative model. So we've got a pathway for players to come go up and down. We've got a pathway for coaches to go up and down because the scouts who can be, for me, I think this is a scouting, it's a talent ID. It's a talent ID because we've got a lot of coaches coming through, but we haven't got the talent spotters in our community, in those grassroots club, to tell those coaches and those clubs to say, this is a pathway for a professional player. This is a pathway for a professional coach, a pathway to become an academy scout. And this is what I'm going to be working. I'm currently working with those groups now. But it all, my big, my big kickoff is tonight. So this was a big kickoff. First half, I've got a second half this evening, right? And it's, and the title is Massive Football Font Size Against a Very Small South Asian Underrepresentation. Football versus South Asian Underrepresentation. Very small letters. Why? 0.25%. What are we going to do about it in 2021? So, the, so this is this discussion, this podcast. I think this is about sharing people's best practice and inspiring others who are going to be listening to say, I can do that. I can do that. And we've got to stop, you know, stereotype parents are not into football. Yes, they are, depending what demographics you're in. Yeah. You've been a parent, you're supporting your son. I've been parents supporting, but there's other parents who can't afford it to support those parents, those children, because you've got to start thinking the demographics and people forget that majority of the inner city areas, there's a lot of South Asians who live in those areas who might not be able to support those. So we have to take football into their own area and start developing, whether it's, you know, having academy coaches helping those coaches in those areas. And that's one of those things I'm going to be working with. But I want to make sure that, Everyone is inspired. Everyone's for the last year has been, you know, they've gone through challenges. And we've had a good PR, you know, in terms of Asians in football, South Asians in football. We've had a lot of coverage. Now we've got to do it. Now we've got to actually go out there and deliver. And it's a FedEx. I tell people I'm FedEx. I deliver. I, I can't be talking about this. I deliver and people like it. That's fine, because we can be talking forever. We can be writing, reading reports forever. Unless you don't understand your demographics and the areas you're living, 
football is not the same. The model I can work here might not work in different parts of the country because they're not linked with a professional club. They've got no grassroots football playing at all. It's unaffiliated football. So until we we do the demographics research and the potential, and then we link it up with the mentoring model where it's going to link the grassroots club with the professional academies. Without the links with the professional clubs, we're not going to move. We can't be talking about participation. We've been doing that for 20, 30 years. Kids are playing. And if you look at the latest research, 60% is Bangladeshi who play football. I think 47 Pakistani and I think it's 21 India. But what, what, what football are they playing? Are they playing goals? Are they playing unaffiliated football? Are they playing all the Asian football league? Is it adult football? So we've got the role model, Hamza Chowdhury, in the Premier League. But they, there's no visibility. I haven't seen anyone wear Hamza Chowdhury's shirt in London, South Asian, because the next generation, they see they see players, their role models gonna, are going to be very, very different because they don't see those players coming back into the community and giving those inspirational, speaking to those grad schools club. And this is what I found when I was in, even at Leicester. Those players who were playing never came into those community. Never came. Some did, but I think we need to see more ex-players or players who are still playing go into those communities because you started with from those communities. So it's not just working with the grassroots. We've got to we got to tell the ex-pros or the players who are playing now how they can be involved. You know, I know their busy schedule. You know how they can connect with those communities they're from as well, because we want to inspire everyone. We want to inspire you know the next generation. But football is evolving, and what I mean by that is we could have players coming from India in this country, because football is massive in Bangalore, Kolkata. I've been there, I've seen it, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Rashid, we're talking Indians in football here, yeah? I said, yeah, I know, we're talking Indians in football. Oh, the passion, the coaching. So part of the Premier League skills was to upskill coaches. We actually went and taught them how to become coaches, and they're working in Indian Super League coaching. I think the game is going to evolve. And then in terms of coming back to opportunity, if the opportunities are not here, there could be opportunities in those parts of the world as well. But we're going to have opportunities from those parts of the world. People are going to come into this country, want to work in the professional game. So I think I think we've got to evolve and we've got to make sure the communities and the next generation of the future leaders or the coach or the scouts or who wants to work or the referees to say there will be opportunities, but you will need your qualifications because they're mandatory. But once you've had the qualification, the 10% knowledge, where are you going to get the 20% of doing it? And where are you going to get the 70% of doing it? Because as a football coach, you've got to be on the grass. That's why it's called grassroots football, yeah? You've got to be out there coaching. The ball has to be moving. That 10% knowledge is what we're getting when we go to courses or degree courses, education. It's only 10%. 20% is going to be very key. The networking, I told you the mentoring side, but they have to be out there 70%. Coaching, coaching, it doesn't matter what environment, the weather, the commitment, the dedication. And that's where I think we, I think it's exciting time to be a coach now or to work in a professional game because I think 
we've got, like Z said, we've got professional examples in the game from the South Asian communities. But I still think we need to talk and we need to, we need to make sure that people are aware of. But I think we need to go back to go forward. I still think you've got to see it to be it. And I really believe in that. Someone seen me 25 years ago and they're doing it now. And that this is what I want with the next generation to see me, but not to see me. I want them to see the local people who live in the local area so they can say, I want to play. I want to coach. I want to work in the foundation. I want to do a sports degree course. I want to work in the professional environment. Or I want to work in the professional industry in different departments. Okay, Rashid, what's what would you like your legacy to be once you finally decide to hang up your boots? Depends with boots, yeah. It depends which boots. I think you meant you mean hang up the tracksuits, yeah. <laughs> it's hanging tracksuits. I, I, I think the boots, boot sizes have changed. I think I'm not one of those person about legacy. I'm not. I think people will talk when I've gone away. Then you know whether that was legacy. I can't say I've done this, 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 because I'm still doing it. People will recognize that, you know, that whatever I've built, you know, uh, whatever I've done in Leicester, whatever I'm doing in East London, and I've been privileged to work with two professional clubs who have given me the opportunity. I see Leicester as an opportunity, and I see West Ham as my destination. That's how I see it. Uh, But in terms of the legacy, no, I think that's for people to to talk about when I've gone. But I have to make sure there's a next generation. And I've said it, the future is going to be South Asian. And I still believe in that. And that's my footprint. And if I don't believe in that, it's not going to happen. But I want the rest of the people who are going to be listening to believe that they're good enough to to be working the professional game. And they have to be confident. And they have to pick up the phone. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, not a problem, you know. Uh, it's not a problem. I'm, that's what I'm. I'm here for. I'm here to help, support, mentor, coach, and and give the best advice, the professional advice, to where they want to go. But I think the legacy. No, I, I think, I think what I've done in Leicester is history. Now, I have to create the new history. We have to create the new history. We've seen the 25-year report. We're going to move on from there and we've got to create a new history for the next generation. And I think it's fantastic opportunity now and we have to grab it. 